So therefore, that begs the question, what's the situation and the circumstances in our life right at this very moment? Because when you get a group of people together, generally speaking, the first thing that you realize is, is that everybody's in a different place. And depending on where we are and what the circumstances of our life are, um, things can be going really great. Pastor Richard was telling me about a conversation that he had with somebody the other day and said that, uh, that um, I got this problem, that problem, and this issue, and that issue, and the other issue. Other than that, things are great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and isn't that life? Isn't that life? Because we go through life and, and the world throws all this stuff at us. And what Paul was talking about here in Philippians is, what's the word I'm looking for? Being content in those circumstances. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Meaning, I can do all things that God has put before me as I... Because who's he relying on? Yeah. I mean, this is about Jesus Christ. I mean, if, if it weren't for him, what might Paul have said? Yeah. I'm getting hammered and I don't like it. You know, I mean, he, he could say all kinds of different things. And, uh, uh, which, which leads me to you know, some interesting quotes that I, that I found um, from a, a, perhaps a worldview or a biblical worldview. And so, uh, let me just read a couple of those to you. The greater part of our happiness or misery depends upon our dispositions and not upon our circumstances. Martha Washington <laughs> said that. Um, let me see. Here's another one. He who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. From a philosophical point of view. Even okay. shows how human nature has changed. <laughs> yeah, I think this much. <laughs> About zero. Um, uh, okay, is this biblical? It is not the strongest or the most intelligent who will survive, but those who can best manage change. Ooh, you know who you know is attributed to that quote? Darwin. Darwin. That's a Darwin. That's a Darwin quote. Um, and uh, here's one. Uh, he that is discontented in one place will seldom be content in another. Yeah. The reason for that is he's always there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is, of course, the next one. If you are not content in your circumstances, don't move somewhere else to start over because wherever you go, there you are also. <laughs> and so... And, and so Paul, it, it's, it's interesting, these, these quotes, because Paul is talking about, and if there was ever somebody in Scripture that we've read about that, that, that man, this guy was getting hammered, wasn't he? It's like everywhere he went, he was getting hammered. And, and, um, and he had to, what did he say about contentedness? In terms of trying to, to uh, obtain it. Remember? He's learned in whatever state he's in to be content. He had to learn. So Paul is saying that, you know, I have to learn to be content. 
So, given the fact that we know that the Bible is completely inerrant and it is inspired, and the Holy Spirit not only inspired Paul to say that, he inspired him or his scribe to write it, and he said, I have learned. What can we take from that? What, what hits you biblically? I have learned to be content. That the Spirit was working with me. Okay. And that it's possible to work with me. Which? I can do all things so I can learn. Mm-hmm. Ah, I can learn like that. Okay. Is it a gift from God? Yeah. Think so? No, because we have to learn it. We have to learn it. Okay, so if you have to learn it, it's not necessarily a gift from God. That's what you're saying? Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so, um, I mean, all things come from God. Right? And yet here's Paul, and we don't find him anywhere praying for contentedness. He's praying for a lot of other things, but praying to be content is not one of them. Now, that's an interesting fact. So, Paul is having to go through these experiences in his life, just like us. No difference. Okay? And the world is throwing all kinds of things at him, and, he, and he's taking a lot of abuse, isn't he? And through those experiences, what is he doing? What, what's happening to Paul that is that is um, uh, allowing him to learn how to be content. He, uh, he gets down on his knees and prays and he says, God, you've got to help me. And, and then he learns that God will help him. Uh, there it is. Ding, ding, ding. So Paul is going through these experiences and man, he's on his knees, he's on his face and he is asking the Lord for favor because... What's he doing? The first, what's Paul's first experience whenever he went into town? Whenever he got to town? What's the first thing he did? Almost all. He went right to the synagogue. He went to the synagogue because, I mean, now here's an evangelist. Okay? He was going to go reason in the synagogue and he was going to share Christ and he was going to the Jews and the Gentiles. But he was bringing Old Testament scripture to bear and he was finding opposition Immediately, immediately, he would find opposition, and then, and we find in scripture that when he didn't find opposition, when he was speaking the truth to a group of of believers and or seekers, and he was teaching them, we see in scripture there wasn't opposition, and several times we read that he preached all night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they pulled an all-nighter. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to go anywhere, see? He did a filibuster. Yeah, he did a yeah. filibuster. And nobody wanted to leave. And so, even in that, even in that, he was learning how to be content. Because just after, perhaps being uh, beaten um, and even stoned, uh, he would then go and he would preach 
Christ and him resurrected and he would stay all night. And so would everybody else. That's the implication. And I find that's really interesting because he was having two extremes. Beaten on the one hand and preaching Christ and doing it enthusiastically. That's what, Brenda, you were talking about that. How come we don't go door to door anymore? You know what I mean? And that, now that's an evangelist heart to want to share Christ with people. There was Paul. And he, he was having to learn. And that's the key from, from last week. Looking at, um, at getting strength from where? Yeah, because he couldn't do it in his own strength. I mean, as soon as he tried to do this in his own strength, okay, so ding, 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 as we're trying to go about our life and we have these circumstances and we got these four horrible things that we're having to deal with right now. Uh, and yet, and I, and, I, and I love what Richie uh, told me. He says, you know, this is wrong and that's bad and I got this problem, I got that problem. And he says, you know, but other than that, things are great. The reality is, is that, you know what, I just, I'll just deal with those things. I, I'll, somehow I'm just going to be content because I've just got to deal with it. I, I'm just going to deal with those things. But God is good. Mm-hmm. You know? And wow, all the time. Now that is a, a learned contentedness. And so, are we content? Wait a minute. Are you content? No. <laughs> Pretty much so. Sometimes. How about today? Not right now. Not content right now. Hmm. Why not, do you think? I know why not. Really? Mm-hmm. Will you share? No. You don't have to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, I'm not content. <laughs> <laughs> You're not content. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, you know, last week we, we watched that, that video for, for those of you that were here, and we, we, we watched uh, Nick Vucicic, who, who, you know, born with no arms and no legs, he just doesn't know he doesn't have no arms or no legs other than looking at us, because we do have them, but he's never known what it's like to have them, and, and, and now that's a man that is, he would tell you he is learning, he's not there either, but he's learning to be content in this circumstance, because he feels comfortable that he knows what God's calling on his life is. And he said, that's where the contentedness comes from. He knows that he's doing what he's supposed to do, so not having arms and legs doesn't bother him. In fact, he feels really uh, a a sense of uh, gratitude, actually, uh, now. He had to learn that. Uh, for not having arms and legs because he said God would never have been able to use him in the way he's using him if he would have had arms and legs. And he is as convinced of that as, as he is breathing. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful thing uh, because we tend to judge people by you know how they look. Uh, so you, know, you, you, take a, you take a look at a guy that walks up to you for, well, that's a figure of speech. Uh, for the first time, he doesn't have any arms and legs, right? And uh, he has learned to break the ice. You know, and a perfect stranger, he'll, he'll wheel right up to you or have you walk right up to him and he'll say, what's your name? Robert. Robert, will you give me a hug? I love you, brother. And that's, and it's real. I mean, he, he means it. You know what I mean? And, and it's honest. And so he's, he's been able to break the ice that way that you might not be able to do otherwise. It's fascinating. Hard for me to relate. 
totally hard for me to relate. <coughs> so there, this reminds me of a story. We we went to Forest Home one one time, and one of the speakers was a fellow that had no arms, and he would he wanted to build this a ranch for these mentally retarded people, and that he felt that was God's calling, and that they were moving this building to the ranch, and he was up on the roof raising the wires, you know, as they went down and picked up and backed up against electrical wires and that, and he lost both arms and that. And uh, anyway, the person in the audience asked him, he says, would you want your arms back? And he stopped for a minute and he said, no, he says, I can relate to those people better without arms. Yeah, see, that's learned, and I, I don't know, you know, I, I think most of us have learned never to say, boy, if I was in that situation, I would and then fill in the yeah. blank because you know you can't. Yeah. You know, unless you've been there. I, I, I don't have a clue what it's like not to have arms and mm-hmm. legs or, or or what it's like to do lots of different things. I, I don't I don't have the slightest idea. I just, yeah. I just don't. Mm-hmm. But the Apostle Paul uh, didn't have the slightest idea either, and that's what I think we, we resonate with his with his story, right? You know, and uh, you know, uh, Richie was talking about about uh, repentance and all that means is turn 180 degrees and, and that's our that's our biblical reference for turning 180 degrees I'm going to go kill Christians uh, until he had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he said no I'm not, you're not uh, let me show you what you're really going to do you're not going to go kill them you're going to love them what? Yeah. <laughs> that's the opposite of what I was going to uh, of what I was going to do you know and, and so and look at how God used him a Pharisee's Pharisee and he used him in remarkable ways just remarkable this. and so, and and he was. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say that he was just an average, an average Joe, because he was a. Um, I mean, he was a he was a really bright guy. Um, studied under Gamaliel, who was uh, who was the, the rabbi's rabbi, um, and uh, and he was a zealot. And so God just used all of those natural things that He had already given him anyway, and turned him around the other way, and look what happened. Mm-hmm. Look what happened. Mm-hmm. And, I would submit to you that uh, that that could be anyone. That can do that with anyone. You know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, we talk about how much of the Holy Spirit do we want? We see we have them all, but how much do we want? And uh, and I and I love that you've heard the stories about people saying, "Oh Lord, send me." Oh Lord, don't send me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I have friends that are that are missionaries and. And, uh, the, and, and the wife of, of this couple had four kids, and uh, she grew up as a, as a missionary kid. So she was an MK, and the last thing that she wanted to do was go in the mission field. So she married this guy that was all tatted up, and, and he was a bad dude. Okay, mm-hmm. So he walked away from the Lord, married this dude, and because it was the last thing that she wanted to do was be on the mission field. So what happens? This guy has a, a, a an Apostle Paul encounter with Jesus Christ, comes to the Lord, is is so zealous and so on fire for the Lord, decides that and, and talking with her, we need to go on the mission field. No, 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 no. <laughs> and then over a couple of two or three years, of course, I you know probably the rest of the story. And uh, and so the Lord softened her and softened her. Well, okay, all right, all right. If we're going to be missionaries, at least I know that life. Okay. <laughs> Um, so guess what? She re-engages with the Lord and, and, and repents of walking away from, 
from God for all those years, and then they say, "Okay, Lord, send us." But there's there's really only one. We just don't want to go anyplace dangerous. <laughs> so they so the Lord sent them to Afghanistan, <laughs> and uh, and he's a missionary with with MAF, and they're in Afghanistan. And three weeks ago, and this isn't even public knowledge yet. Uh, three weeks ago, in the encampment uh, where they were, um, the Taliban sent in three. Um, uh, suicide bombers, mm-hmm. and uh, the area where the missionaries congregate—they have a church there. It's a, it's a compound, and it's guarded because it has to be. Um, and they broke through. They killed the guards. They broke through, and they went into this compound uh, and blew themselves up to kill all of the Christian missionaries that are there working for math. And it just so happened that they had scheduled an event. Nobody was there. Nobody was there. And so this was this was three weeks ago in Afghanistan. And so uh, I mean it's just it's just crazy. Can you learn to be content? Kind of relative thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean I was I wasn't content today because I I was hot. I mean, that's it, but really, our life is kind of that ridiculous, isn't it? Sometimes it, it really is what we, what we think about. So, what is contentment? We defined contentment last week. So, before we move forward, let's just let's kind of understand what it is. What is contentment? Being at peace with your circumstances. Okay, contentment. Being at peace with your circumstances. That's good. You buy that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, pleased, at peace, satisfied. <coughs> you know, those are words that we that we kind of come up with for for uh, contentedness. And and does contentedness uh, uh, ebb and flow? Big time, doesn't it? Can you ever be totally content? Not on this planet. Hmm. Not on this planet. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I was pretty content up at this moment here. Too long. <laughs> <laughs> so in the moment, yeah, not at the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> not at the trash cans, though. <laughs> so it does have been full, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, here's a go. Stay away, Ernie. There's a in. In studying this, uh, I, I really, uh, you know, I just had a sense that there is so much that we need to learn in order to be content. Because we can talk about it, but mm-hmm. how, how practical is it to be content in our circumstances? Because if, if unlike Diana, if anybody else was willing, which probably none of us are, <laughs> to go around the room and talk about our discontent, just in the moment, just given our circumstance right now, mm-hmm. I think that we would find that everybody could share some discontentedness <laughs> stories, even as even as we sit here. I'm not going to ask you about it, but <laughs> <laughs> look at this guy yeah. 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 he was discontent. Oh yeah, big time. He had money and cars and mm-hmm. yeah, he had everything. 
Yeah, well, and so, and we all have everything to live for, right? And yeah. he just yeah. didn't, he just didn't know, which, thank you, that's a beautiful segue right into some statistical information that I ran across. Um, and think about it in the context of, of contentedness. And, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll put it in, uh, in terms of kind of religiosity, if you, if you will, okay? So, so just listen to a few of these stats. Kind of interesting. Uh, how many people are there in the world? Yeah. <laughs> Roughly? According to uh, some uh, statistics, you've got to be a little bit careful with, with stats because you've got to understand where they come from. But roughly about between six and a half and seven billion people on, on the planet, with a B. Okay. Um, 2.3 billion people uh, claim to be Christians of that between six and a half and seven. 2.3 billion are Christians. Um, 1.5 billion um, uh, are estimated to be Muslim, 971 million Hindu, 703 million have absolutely no religion and aren't interested. Um, that's an interesting number. 626 million Buddhists, 553 million of various ethnic religions, um, 33 million that are lesser known or almost unknown uh, religious affiliation. And uh, of the six and a half to seven billion people in the world, 2.8 billion people live among those that are completely unreached for Christ. 2.7 billion people are isolated in areas where it's virtually impossible on the human level to even get in okay, to evangelize these people. 2.7 billion, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. Um, and there's 6,510 languages within the various people groups. 94% of which the New Testament has been translated into. 94%. Boy, has there been some real work done in the last 150 years or 200 years in translating I think of Dave and, and Katie, and Dave and Katie, uh, you know, over there in Papua New Guinea, uh, and one of the tasks that they're going to have to deal with uh, is not only learn the language, but they're going to be working at translating the New Testament into into one of these languages that, that there's there's only a handful of people that speak the language. Isn't that, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, 70,000 people die every day in those areas where they, there has never been anybody to evangelize them. Mm -hmm. 70,000 people a day are dying that have never been exposed to the truth mm -hmm. of, of Christ. That's, that's an interesting stat. Mm -hmm. um, Christians make up 33% of the world's population and receive 53% of the world's income. Yeah, yeah. But wait till we get to the end of this contentedness thing, and we'll, and we'll see what we do with that. We'll see what we do with that uh, blessing. Um, so, sixty percent of the unreached people uh, groups uh, in the world live in countries that are absolutely closed to any missionary activity. It has to be covert, and even to get in. And yet, what is the what is the country? where more people are coming to Christ right this very moment, right now, 
than anywhere else on the planet. China. It's estimated that 10,000 people a day are are uh, uh, are accepting Christ as Lord in in China, and it's all underground. You talk about a movement of God. So, you know, I was thinking about that, Brenda. We're talking about going two two by two, door by door. You know, and here we are in thinking about a scat in China where 10,000 people are coming to Christ. And I wonder about the underground church and how content they are. That's probably the only contentment they have. They have, yeah. Because, I mean, their life is miserable on a, on a comparative basis. I, so I, I just, I wonder what's on their mind. I wonder what they're, I wonder what they're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. There's 140,000 registered missionaries in the world. That's registered. And I think there's other missionaries that are covert, if you will. But of the 140,000 recorded Protestant missionaries in the world, well over 50% of them come from right here. From the United States. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so these are, these are, are some, some missionary um, uh, statistics. And uh, uh, interestingly, up to half of all missionaries, up to 50% of all missionaries that go out onto the mission field don't return after their first commitment. Most of them have to commit for anywhere from one to three years. 50% don't return to the field. Don't return to the field. That's right. They walk away from the mission field. Okay? Um, I learned that when I started flying in Alaska a few years ago. Um, most of the Alaska missionaries last one year. And they've had an organized mission field in Alaska for a hundred years. Nobody stays. Because culturally, they have to get to know you before there, some some of these missionaries go to Alaska and they live in a village and there's 200 people in the village and of course they're all related to one another, families, right? And a missionary will go there and they'll start a church and nobody will even come for six or eight years. They won't even show up because they want to know if you're going to stay. And they don't. And so why are they having a hard time reaching people for Christ in these villages in, in Alaska? Duh. It's because they don't stay. And where they do stay, I met a man that's been there for 30 years, and I might have told you this story before. He was in a village, and there was a huge fire. And, and the houses are, are pretty shoddy, uh, believe it or not. And so a whole bunch of houses burned down. Now, he had been a missionary there and got a job in the school, in a native school. So he was also a school teacher. He's also an aviator. That's how I met him. And he had been there for, for a, a really long time. Uh, anyway, this fire started, uh, and he made a phone call to Samaritan's Purse and said, "There's huge fire in in Hooper and we in Hooper Bay, and, and I don't know I don't know what to do. These people are homeless. It's winter time. You know, it's like 60 below zero there in the winter time. And Samaritan's Purse the next day had airplanes there with building materials, and he had been there for something like 12 or 14 years." He and his wife and his young family had started a church in their living room. Nobody came. They started rebuilding that community. 
and then there was 10, and then there was 30, and then there was 300. And if you ask him what happened, he said, oh, I, I just I just knew God was just God had to make something happen, and they wanted to know if I was going to stay, and he did, and he's there, and so there's only 600 people in the whole village. There's like over 300 people going to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Half of the community came to Christ because he stayed. Very very interesting. So and then what? The way yeah. <laughs> what what yeah, 25 years without a convert, you know, I mean, that's, you talk about a recipe for discontent. Yeah. That's a hard environment to live Miserable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I spent just summers up there, two summers flying, and, and it's cold for summer. Yeah. I don't know what 60 below zero is like. I, I have no idea, but I can tell you this: I'm one of the I'm one of the contented uh, missionary pilots. I want to go home. <laughs> I want to I want to be in Southern California in, in the winter time, you know. But, uh, but but the missionaries that I know up there, they are there year round, and you know they take airplanes out and they fly in the 60 60 below zero weather. I you know I, I can't I, I I don't know. That's why I don't know. Um, and unfortunately, I don't want to find out. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that's I'm, I'm just, just being honest. So, um, you know, 50% of the pastors that go into the pastorate uh, are, are gone um, within five years. Not gone from the church that they, started, that they went to pastor. They're out of the ministry in five years. And only 10% of pastors that go into pastoral ministry stay to retirement. One in ten. So those are some pretty interesting statistics. And then if you think about it, that that's... I mean, we're talking about people that are in, in the business of being called to do God's work. And I, I look at those statistics and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's tough. It's tough out there. there here's some people that, like Paul, probably had been through l- trying to learn contentedness, but the statistics aren't very supportive of contentedness. So then, we take a look at the world. And so, how about the world? How content are those people around us? (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) Oh, he who dies with the most toys wins. I've seen the bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not against toys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got a couple. You got a couple of toys. Okay. So there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with the. the uh, there's nothing wrong with the toy. There is something wrong with the mindset. And what about the TV show? You got about TV shows. You ever watch that TV show? Um, I don't know what it's called about the, the people that are that are mentally ill, obviously, but but they're hoarders. Oh, yeah. And they and they just they can't help themselves. They buy stuff, and they you know the, the people that buy shoes and clothes and stuff, and t- it's stacked up for years. They don't even they don't even open some of the packages. They got so much stuff, and they can't give that. It's it's really interesting because now you talk about being content. Now that that's something that's 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 you know grossly on the extreme end, right? But what about us? 
You ever gone down the freeway and seen the sign for public storage? It's a really interesting company because their stock yesterday was selling for $170.24 a share. Okay? Public storage. Well, yeah, what are we going to do with our stuff? We've got to have more stuff. And when we don't have enough place to put our stuff, we've got to go and we've got to pay somebody to store our stuff. And some of the stuff that we put in there to be stored, we don't even know what we got in there. But, but we've got to have some place to put our stuff. And so, you know, that particular company has 2,200 locations across the country. And they, and they, they sell enough storage to people that their, their annual revenues are $2 billion for one company to store stuff. They're just storing their stuff. You know? And you can get different sized compartments to put your stuff in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, has a stuff generator. Well, they got more than one now. Yeah. Right over here, we already had one in Yeah, I think that's great. So that's where we put our stuff. And if you then, if you think about about, well, I got to have more stuff because I'm not content with the stuff I got. I'm going to buy more stuff, and then I'm going to go make a company very wealthy and the investors wealthy because I'm going to store my stuff in their place. Now I have to think about it. They just send me a bill, I, I write the check, and I, need, I don't even go down there. I don't know what I got in there, but I got my stuff. I got my stuff. And, and so then, then I went into my wife's uh, bathroom. Yeah. It can't be my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> all I got is a toothbrush and toothpaste in there. That's, but, you know, and I look in there, and, and, um, and she, she gave me permission to do this. Um, but, you know, you look in there, then there's a lot of stuff in there. And so I thought, well, I better look into that. And so, do you know how much uh, women spend on skin care? I'm talking skin care products in the United States annually. $600 billion. <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just said there's been a And the crazy thing is, only 94% of that $600 billion is spent by women. The other 6% men buy. I didn't have any idea men used skincare products, but they do, apparently. Yeah. And so, uh, and then what about plastic surgery? Mm. <laughs> so, well, before we even go to plastic surgery, we've got to deal with our hair. Now, some of us don't. <laughs> but the hair care industry is a $58 billion a year industry for stuff so that we can wash our hair. And then you put stuff on it after you wash it and make it all soft and smooth and stuff. Right? <laughs> $58 billion a year. And so $13 billion a year in, in plastic surgery. Because people are content. So you can thank everybody on TV for making everybody feel inadequate. But we gotta we gotta change things, don't we? Because if because we we gotta change it. We gotta have more stuff, and then when we get enough stuff, then we don't have any place to put it. We'll pay somebody else to have a place to park it. We gotta have some place to put it in boxes. Some of us are organized in our storage, you know, we got boxes that are even labeled. Other people, they just throw it in there and, and for years. 
In fact, for years people store stuff. You can actually go to one of these storage places now and you can go to an auction because people have just blown it off. Yeah. They stopped paying, they don't care. Yep. And they, they didn't know what was in there anyway. Mm -hmm. huh. yeah. they, they got so much stuff they could just walk yeah. away from they it. They have a TV show about that too. Yes, they do. <laughs> storage wars. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. These people come in and buy all this stuff that the rest don't pay on, then they turn around and put it back in the storage bin. Yeah, so they buy somebody else's storage stuff so that they can. I don't know what happens, but the, the incredible thing is, is that you know all of when you look at all of this stuff, and and you know, and I'm not, I'm not. Uh, you know, belittling, belittling the, the cosmetic industry or any of those kinds of things. Um, uh, I'm just suggesting that what what is it that we do to to become content? And uh, and every single one of us is discontent in one way or another. And when you take a look at what it is, it's either how we look or how how we want to appear to somebody, or that we're in competition. Okay, because if somebody, you know, that's how people get bigger houses because you know we're keeping up with the Joneses, and so we got to have a, a bigger house and a and a you know a fancier this or a that or or, or, or you know whatever it is, and uh, it it just it just amazes me uh, that even the Christian community is not immune. In fact, I would again submit that there's virtually no difference between the believing community and the unbelieving community in terms of this contented issue. We're not content with the music at church. That's the one reason, the, the, the first and foremost reason that people leave a church is the music. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't mean because the pastor's no good. Yeah. That's what, you know. I'm hanging around here. Trust me, I'm not going anywhere. But you're kind of prejudiced, aren't you? Yeah, well, that's true. So I'm, yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, so, um, and, and before we move into scripture, just, just listen to this, because I, I really want to set the hook now, okay? So, so listen to this. Okay. The gross domestic product of the United States, that's the stuff that we produce, is $17 trillion. And of the 156 million workers in this country, the average income, the average income is $49,000 a year. Now, the United States government, a, a couple of days ago, because it goes <laughs> up pretty rapidly, the United States government had $17.3 trillion in debt. Do you know how much household debt there is in America? Combined? Yeah. yeah. How much are we as Americans, how much debt do we carry as Americans? The United States government debt right now is $17.3 trillion. So you mean per person? No, yeah, you add up all the debt, okay? You got some credit card debt, you got some, you got some, well, maybe, I don't, I mean, euphemistically, you not. Yeah, per family. So you add it all up, and, the, and the, it's $50.7 trillion as of 2013. So we're in as much debt as the government. Way more! Way more are we in debt. We're in debt because we got to have stuff to buy that we can put it in the storage place. 
That's that's what's happening. And so and so fifty point seven trillion dollars is what Americans are in debt. Now, what is a trillion dollars? <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah, but three times to the moon or something. That's that's a thousand billions. I don't know. I can't. I don't know these numbers. You know, it's, it's so hard to relate uh, to, to what fifty trillion is. But I can tell you this: Walmart revenue. How many times did she go to Walmart the other day to get five times? They had to go to Walmart because see, we got to have one of these and we got to have one. Walmart's great. Walmart revenue was four hundred and forty-seven billion dollars last year. The number two company in gross revenues of any company in the world, and they're right behind ExxonMobil. So apparently, we need ExxonMobil so that we can get the gas to drive to Walmart to buy their stuff to put it in public storage. That's got to be it. I'm telling you, because not only is public storage a two billion dollar company, it gets worse. They're just one company in the public storage business because there are 50,000 U.S. locations where you can store your stuff that you don't have any place for and you don't really know what you got. And the total revenue is $22 billion for us to store our $50.7 trillion worth of debt. Well, it's crazy. Oh, I have three on Bryant, and now they're going to have two in Oakview, and the ones on Bryant are almost full mm-hmm. all the time. Okay, we have three shifts okay. in our yard. Yeah. <laughs> 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 all right, who has more than one credit card? Anybody? No, we have more than one credit card. Okay, so now, this is, these are averages, and of course you know how I feel about averages. On average, if your head is in the oven and your feet are in the freezer, you're comfortable. So averages you've got to be careful with. But, on average, in the United States, every single credit card has $15,000 worth of consumer debt on it. So do you know what that means? Marvin, you are the exception because you have the zero balance on your credit card, which means that some people have a $50,000 limit on their card and it's maxed. And they have three of them and they're maxed. And they're paying 18 to 21 percent interest on 26. Okay, and that's where the 50.7 trillion uh, in, in 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 household debt comes from. And 52 percent of American households, listen to this, have zero dollars in savings. Well, that's almost 52 percent of American households. 52% have a goose egg. Are you they sure it's not because they're sticking in on the mattress? Well, and 44% that do have some savings have less than three months living expenses. Okay. These people are going to retire and do what? Live off the government. Okay. Yeah. Now, so what does that... That's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> it's crazy though, isn't it? I'm more content now after all those pictures. Well, I went to the Social Security office this morning and they told me, no, 
You have to keep on working. You have to keep on working. Did you get a headache collecting all that data? No, but you know, I, I had a sense that it was bad, but, but when, you, when you see them black and white and you see the numbers and you see, why are people spending all this money? Because they're discontent. So uh, why is it, so we're discontent, we're discontent and so we spend the money and, and then we make poor choices about that too, don't we? Because we're spending money we don't have to the tune of $50.7 trillion. Now, $50 trillion is 50,000 billionaires. There aren't that many. <laughs> Amen, sister. I'm just trying to put it into perspective here. So we're carrying $50 trillion worth of debt as Americans. Okay? And if we got rid of that, and we said, what could we do with $50 trillion if that debt went away and we could turn it into cash? We could give a billion dollars to 50,000 people. A billion dollars. I don't even know what a billion dollars looks like. I don't know what that means. It's so far beyond my capacity. But 50,000 billionaires. So, um, turn to Matthew 6.25. <laughs> All that said. Makes sense now, doesn't Therefore, I said, you do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? In the body, more important than clothes. Yes, and then if you continue and uh, uh, read now Matthew six thirty one through thirty three. Mm-hmm. So do not worry, saying, "What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear?" For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, what's he saying? What's he saying? Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll take care of you. Be content. That doesn't sound anything like $50.7 billion worth of debt to me. Sounds like take one day at a time, too. It's really interesting. I think we're having a real difficult time with this contentedness because we got to have more stuff. And, and what God's Word tells us is that, and here's the crazy thing, Christians, here's the crazy thing, in Matthew 6, 32, it says, For the pagans run after all of these things. Mm-hmm. Ouch! That is a little close to home. Mm-hmm. I think the reason chase, people chase these things is because they have this emptiness inside. They're not content. Mm-hmm. So they think if they buy enough toys, that will do it. Where does that put us as followers and disciples of Jesus Christ? 
See, because this is a this is a this is an area where statistically it's it's like divorce. You know, it's no difference inside the church and outside the church. Uh oh, uh oh, and it's like that. I'm telling you, it's no different inside the church and outside the church. Now, you want to see some really interesting statistics? Take a look at philanthropy. Inside the church and outside the church. Now, inside the church, it goes to very specific causes, as opposed to outside the church, it goes to things that aren't typically that aren't typically Christian causes, right? But when you take a look at the differential in terms of how much money we make and how much... Go- in fact, there's a statistic that I didn't share. I'll share it now. And that is that in the church... Okay, this is, this is broad. Okay, so, so don't personalize this too much. But in the church, the uh, Christian households spend... 98% of their income on themselves. Mm. On themselves. Mm. You know what the problem is? Outside the church, it's better. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Mm. Motivation... Uh, there's all kinds of things that we can talk about in that regard. I'm just saying that isn't it interesting? And it, these are just real numbers that are, uh, and you don't, don't cast these in concrete. I'm just saying that you know, uh, God's word says, don't worry. You know, mm-hmm. so if we're not going to worry, we wouldn't even need storage locations. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, what do I need all that stuff for? Mm-hmm. You know, my wife bought a whole bunch of new dishes. I didn't know we needed new dishes. I thought the old ones were just fine. very much, you know. But I mean, she's a color freak, and you know, so the plates are green, and the sour plates are blue, and the bowls are yellow, and it all fits. It's very lovely, but but we had red plates and blue bowls, and I don't know. At least we don't have to store them. We got new ones for I don't know why, but but we don't have to we don't have to pay for storage. And so, you know, so here we are. Are we content or are we discontent? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Place, good, great. And yeah. yeah, they they really do. And so, in in Matthew six twenty five, of course, he says, "Be content. Don't worry about your life." First mm-hmm. Timothy six. So first Timothy six six through ten. But whoever reads, just read verse six and then stop and then we'll read the rest of the verses in a second. First Timothy six six. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. What does that mean? Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness we get that, don't we? Being godly? Christ-like. Being Christ-like? With contentment. Oh. Is to be valued. Yeah. It's, it's great gain. Yeah. Great gain. Go ahead and read 7 through yeah. 10. Well, we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, we indeed we should be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have been strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Mm. Mm. We're all real familiar with that, with that, that <coughs> scripture. That one gets misused a lot too, doesn't it? The one about about the money being being I've heard it said frequently money is the root of all evil and, and, and what scripture says is there's a there's all kinds of other evil the love of money that's right that's right and so to put that in context of course we have to take a look back just a little bit um, and in this letter uh, to Timothy uh, the context is that there were religious people that were using their religion to get wealthy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another ouch. Because in the first century, there were those that were using, as it were, the pulpit, okay, to get rich. Mm-hmm. It hasn't changed, has it? No, no, it's not different today. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. And so, uh, and, and, you know, so is it, well, uh, I mean, is it a sin to be rich? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and so, um, if it's not a sin to be rich, then why is contentment along with this godliness? Why is it so? Why is it great gain? If you're not rich, you're still happy. Okay. Oh, there's that perspective. Okay. So the perspective there is is that you know so. You know, your godliness is not a vehicle for a means to financial gain. Okay? 1 Timothy 6, 3-5 ends up that way. So don't use your godliness as a way to, for financial gain. Now, we see it all the time, and we have to be very careful not to be too judgmental here because we don't know the, 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 the details. But there's a lot of Christian books out there. And I, I have a confession, because uh, I like music. And when I when I thought about Christian music uh, early in my Christian walk, I thought, well, these people ought to be doing that for nothing. I mean, this is this is to bring honor and glory to God. They're making a business out of it. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, they got to eat too. <laughs> that, that wasn't very fair of me to think that way. But you got to be careful because there are some Christian authors that have. Uh, I mean, there are some guys out there that have that have tremendous wealth because they have best-selling books. Joel Olstein is a great author, and he doesn't take a salary from his church as he ought not to, um, and he's made uh, tens of millions of dollars off of his book sales, and he's got a platform from it. And is that bad? It depends on how it's used. So I mean, we get, we got to be really careful with that. But Paul is contrasting worldly gain—that's money and stuff—okay, uh, with spiritual gain. I don't care if a pastor makes $400 trillion. If it is to the glory of God and, and he is, has watched his, his doctrine carefully and has lifted up and affirmed uh, the Lord and the church and, 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 and his, uh, or her for that matter, right? Okay? I don't care. It's not the money that's the issue. It's not the money. So do we trust God or do we just want more stuff? <laughs> yeah. So there's some steps then. How do we become content? 
we got to learn it. Okay? Right? Linda said, we got to learn it. You're right. we got to learn it. Paul had to learn it. Everybody has to learn it. He counts your blessings to start with. Okay. And we have a lot of them. start counting. Yeah. Well, the first step, of course, is that we have to learn it. We have to learn contentedness. And so, uh, as believers, it's not something that God is going to bestow on us, this contentedness. We can pray for a lot of things. Guidance and wisdom um, in terms of how we should conduct ourselves. But we have to learn to be content in whatever the circumstance is because guess what? If you're breathing, the world is going to throw circumstances at you. Amen? And so it's about learning how to be content no matter the circumstance. When I've had plenty... And like Job, when I've had nada, it's all been taken away. You know, are we content? Probably not. It's a learned process. Is some of it a heart issue? Clearly. Because most people who are, in con- are not content like that, they've got this hole in their heart that they're trying to stuff mm-hmm. all the material stuff into mm-hmm. to fill it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a great question that we can ask ourselves right here. Do we want to be content? You know, some from a worldview, a non-biblical worldview, would say that all great things come out of discontentedness. I'm discontent with this, so I'm going to go make it better. Well, well, maybe, maybe, but that's not the kind of contentedness that that God's Word is talking about. But the point is, is that it's learned. We need to go through the process of learning how to be content and not not uh, living our Christian life like this. Peak and valley. And peak and valley. The Apostle Paul said that when they were stoning me, when I'm in chains for Christ, he said, you know, I mean, he was chained up. He was in jail for a good portion of his ministry. And um, and he'd learned to be content. They were singing hymns when, when, they, were, when they were in jail. Well, it was lucky for us that he was in jail. Otherwise, he wouldn't have his letters. Mm-hmm. So the Lord had good reasons for putting him there. Amen. Even though he didn't know it at the time. He didn't know it at the, he didn't know it at the time. But he was learning to be content in that circumstance. And, and, and it was a hard issue for him. He was willing. Hey, this is what it is. I have opposition here. I'm the worst sinner of the whole group, he said. <laughs> that gave him some perspective. I was, out, well, I was out trying to kill these people until I had this encounter with Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, you know, he, he showed me, I mean, the way, the truth, and the life. Right? And so, step two is, I think we need to distinguish between what is temporal, the here and the now, meaningless almost, compared to what is eternal. But we don't. That's why we have public storage. <laughs> That's right. We've got to have public storage. Because we don't think eternally. We think about the temporal stuff. So we buy extra dishes that we don't need. <laughs> we can't take it with us. But we do. I, I, we want to. We want to. So, so step two is... Is to distinguish between what is eternal and what is temporary or temporal. If we view the things that we do on an eternal basis... Our entire perspective changes. There's nothing wrong with stuff. 
Okay? So don't take that the wrong way. There's nothing wrong with stuff. But, but, we should be viewing things eternally. Because we're here for such a short period of time. I'm going to buy some public storage stock, though. I think that would be great. <laughs> but I think our vision of the future um, has a great impact on us in terms of whether or not we can be content. Because God's Word says, don't worry about that stuff. What you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to have, how many dishes you got, you know, that stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. Because it's frankly not that important. But if you need dishes, go ahead and get them. That's fine. Okay? It's not about not getting the dishes. I'm just saying that, you know, where's your, where's your heart? Is it on eternal things? Or, 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 or on, the, on the temporal things? Set your mind on things above is what Colossians 3.2 says, right? Set your mind on things above. If we walk around and set our things on our mind on, on things above more than we set our mind on things that are right in front of our face, Again, we wouldn't need public storage. There wouldn't be a need for it. We just have what we need, and we wouldn't have all that stuff. Okay. Well, there's a big difference between being content in your circumstances and being content with your circumstances. And in with. That one word makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, amen. That's a very good point, Marvin. That's a very good point. Isaiah 55 9 says that we have to trust. God whose ways are higher than our ways. Where's our mind? As we renew our mind. Is our mind on the things that are happening in front of us at the at the temporal level in our life today? Or are our things set on God's ways because they're higher than our ways? And God is good all the time, right? And all the time God is good. And do we live like that? We should. Okay. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, when I, we're I, here, we do. We, when we're <laughs> here, that's right. When we, when we have mountaintop experiences, it's all great. Yeah. It's in the valleys. It's in the valleys that we what struggle with that. Isaiah the next. What, Isaiah, what was that? Isaiah 55 9. Thank you. And the next step is just develop a grateful attitude. Okay? Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it's virtually impossible. To be grateful to God and discontent at the same time. How can they're 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 opposites? If you're grateful to God and discontent, you're you're like ripped in half. So just develop a grateful attitude. I mean, that's the Bible talks about that a lot. And I've had I've shared this with you before too. But on my office wall uh, for oh gosh, at least 18 years, I have framed the quote from Chuck Swindoll that essentially says that, that you know, attitude is, is really pretty important. And really, it's 10% what happens to me and 90% how I choose to react to it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a grateful attitude. If we can live that way, like 10%, okay, you know, I got this relational problem, okay, I got this relationship problem because a lot of our problems are relationship oriented, aren't they? Because we're not very nice to one another sometimes. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, ten percent versus the ninety percent. I don't know how many control over what somebody says or does. Okay, I just love them anyway. That's really hard, but that's what I'm gonna. I choose to do that. 
And then that doesn't bother me. It's amazing how God works that out. Just amazing. The fourth step is doing things out of inspiration. And or or desperation. I was thinking about motivation. Okay, so if we're motivated, this is really true. Uh, I mean, this is a loving, serving group. That, you know, that's one amazing thing about this about this fellowship of believers that God has called to this little place. It's a it's a really loving group. You know, I mean, and it's honest, and people care about each other here. It's it's uh, you know, I just I just absolutely love to see God transforming people in that way. And it's, it's wonderful. And so we like to serve. And we like to serve one another. And so, you know, and everything from the real practical things, the agape meals. You know, somebody's hurting and it's amazing how food happens. And, 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 and sometimes it's a, a small group of people that do that. But there's all kinds of things that are going on that people don't even know about. And people are serving one another and serving in the church. And, and there's all kinds of wonderful things that are happening. And yet, you have to check and see whether that's because you've been inspired to do that. Is that a God's call on your life? It's like being a missionary, you know? Um, you know I've I had the opportunity to to, to, to counsel with a with a missionary once, and and, uh, and their attitude was, well, there's work to be done. We got to go. Oh, be careful! <laughs> of course, there's work to be done, and you got to go. But has God really inspired you to do this, or are you just a workaholic and you're going to go out there and just bang it out? Because if you're going to go out there and just bang it out, don't go, don't go. You know, your heart's got to be in the right place for that. Mm-hmm. So are you doing things out of inspiration? Has God inspired you to do these things? Or is it just your own motivation? Because I would suggest to you, if it's your own motivation, you are not going to seek the Lord and His strength mm-hmm. and the power of the Holy Spirit to do those things. You're going to be doing it on your own, and that's that age-old thing that we all fight, where we get out ahead of God, before we realize, oh, oh, that's a problem. That's a problem. I forgot to even include him. Okay, I forgot to even include him. So are we inspired to do something? Or are we just motivated? Because if we're motivated, it turns into I. I want to be recognized. I want to I wanna be, um, uh, well, you name it. Um, I want somebody to admire me. Uh, I want to have the biggest church in the valley. Or the country, or the world. I mean, you know, you, talk, you, you mentioned Joel Olstein. You know, he got the biggest church in terms of membership in, in, in the country. I mean, they put thirty thousand people in that building um, uh, every Sunday. Thirty thousand people. You know, it's like going to a football game or something. Um, that's a big church, and and um, uh, but if that was the motivation to build a big church, that, that's wrong because it's I I I I. And so you got to get you got to get rid of the eyes. And inspiration uh, versus motivation gets rid of the eyes. So if you want to be content, seek what God has inspired you to do, not just what your motivation is. That's in my confession as a as, as a workaholic, I, I understand um, having to get whacked upside the head because I, I want to do all kinds of stuff in my own strength. And if I just start there, I'm done. I'm toast. Because what happens is is that you, you lose all humility. You have a, your perspective goes down the drain because you're thinking about, you know, what am I doing for God? 
But God, I'm sorry, God doesn't need you. He just doesn't. God does not need me. Okay. So, if our desire by being inspired to serve other people and love other people, if our desire is that God is to be glorified and not us, hallelujah. That's it. There is contentment. If the things that we do, we know will glorify God and it matters not to us who gets any of the credit or attention or accolades or... Now, there's nothing wrong with a pat on the back because even Jesus said, ah, and we all are waiting, aren't we? Well done, good and faithful servant. Okay? But out of inspiration. Do that out of inspiration. And if you do that, and if you take the final step, and that is to recognize that nobody in the church or anywhere else, starting from the pastor and working all the way down, okay? and I don't mean down derogatorily, I just mean uh, it positionally, um, can do it all. Can't be done. None of us can do it all. And so, if you're motivated the wrong way, you're going to want to try to do all this stuff. And you can't. And you will be totally discontent. Because you're going to see... And, and, and I've, I've, I've shared with you, um, uh, you know, in the aviation ministry, it was very difficult for me because I wanted, to, I, I wanted to have relationships with people. So we would fly people and we would serve them in that way. And we would put them in the airplane and take them from one medical situation to another medical situation and then never see them again. And it was, it was making me crazy until somebody um, reminded me that you're a seed planter. If that's your ministry, then you're a seed planter. And you'd better be content being a seed planter or don't do that anymore because you will be discontent. That radically changed the way I had to view things because I hadn't thought about it that way and apparently I hadn't been in a position to seek wise counsel before. It happened after when I was discontent. Okay? Because you can't love to fly and have that be your motivation. You gotta love to love. Well, you gotta love those people and plant seeds with those people. Or be in the pastoral ministry where it's it's very relational. I like the relational part. I like the relational part. And so, those are those are the steps. So, you want to be content? There it is. Simple, really. <laughs> Simple, really. Okay? So, we have to learn it. We have to understand what's eternal versus what's temporal. Throw away the temporal stuff as much as you can. The more eternal we think, the more content we're going to be. Uh, we have to develop that grateful attitude. Because you can't be grateful and discontent at the same time. And the more grateful you are, I'm telling you, the more content you are going to be. There's no question about that. Um, and you have to check and see whether you're inspired or just plain motivated. And if you're motivated, it's probably all about you. And if you're inspired, it's all about God. <laughs> and boy, and when you flip that, when it's about you, I don't know about you, but whenever I do something that's all about me, I'm, I'm like miserable. Not in the moment. Because I'm trying to feed my ego or something, but but after I do what I do, if it's a, if it's just about me and I realize that, it's like oh that that's that's not good. That's not good. 
and then of course obviously um, making sure that everything that we do is to the glory of God and oh now there's contentment no matter what we're doing no matter what we're doing and so um, um, so who would like to who would like to live their Christian life um, uh, contentedly until the Lord comes and he takes us home everybody <laughs> you got to work at it you got to learn how to do it you got to work at it and insofar as what we learned about the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is is in us and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and all we have to do is appropriate however much of it we choose that we want because the Lord is willing that he, it's all there it's all 100% there and contentedness is available to us do we want it and are we willing to make the choice heart condition are we willing to make that choice that we want to learn because it's a lifetime process and I'm, um, not that my opinion matters but in my opinion because uh, I don't think that we'll ever be content because we just have enough of our old nature in us yeah. that there was going to be a struggle with, with, with contentedness um, but when you are content I'd suggest that what you do is you think about why you're content and ask the Lord Lord can you, can you show me how to, to learn about how I'm there on, on having this mountaintop experience okay um, and then in terms of contentedness Lord can I just have ups and downs be Oh, just small instead of like this instead of the roller coaster ride um, because uh, it, it, it's like I'll, I'll never forget um, uh, Pat uh, Pat was at, uh, the first time he told me he said no he says I've just been so anxious so anxious I'm going to pray for patience and then and, and he says oh, I'm never going to do that again because <laughs> you know the things that the Lord threw at him to teach him patience were almost uh, he was going crazy <laughs> and until we learned that oh there's a reason for that you know and I mean he's joking just a little bit but he learned so much and so should we and so should we amen mm -hmm. Pastor Ricky wants to talk about what the rest of the summer looks like I think it's going to be hot <laughs> you know, before we talk about it I just want to encourage you you said when you're content to ask the Lord how can I stay content I think you have to be okay also when you're discontent you need to really ask the Lord why. Yeah. Because, you know, someone mentioned earlier, there are things growing up that we've picked up. Definition of success. Definition of a man. Definition of a woman. Definition of you name it, right? And, and generally, I've learned in, in my own life, when I'm discontent, sometimes it's because there's uh, a conflict between a worldly value and a biblical value that I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. And and when when that surfaces, there's there's you know, there's there's internal turmoil and conflict, discontent. And and sometimes you said it in our last several weeks and months together, sometimes really it's an issue of submission and surrender. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, it, case in point, you know, for me, you know, uh, in the ministry and, and sort of the whole challenge of going from thinking of a career in law and all that means materially to a calling in ministry and all that <laughs> means materially, right? And having to give up the whole, in, in my case, the idea of, of home ownership, you know? And, and it was a real issue for me for many years. I remember I talking to Larry Swallows when he was alive and, and I really struggled with that. It wasn't, it wasn't that I 
didn't understand how to play the game. I just I, I could never get in the game. <laughs> and and coming from a success mindset and successful family members and successful friends, you know, it was a huge struggle that I didn't even know I carried. It was just a, a value that I picked up. Success equals home ownership. But what happens when your calling from the Lord sort of negates that and you have to struggle with letting that go and be content? You know, because some some of these things, I think some of the reasons that, that we struggle, because it's, a, it's an identity issue. It's a security issue. It's an esteem issue. And then we have to come back to who am I in Christ? I'm complete. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm pleasing. Are we content with that? <laughs> right? Right? It goes back to your identity in Christ. It goes back to wrestling with a biblical worldview versus a worldly worldview. And what really matters? Eternal, you know, so... So, my encouragement, if we're going to learn contentment, you're going to have to sometimes even write it down on paper. You're going to have to find someone, a confidant, and say, you know, I'm really struggling. Yeah. I, I, I always thought I was going to do this. I was going to attain this. I was going to be this. Mm. And I'm just not. And I'm feeling less than. I'm feeling like a failure. I'm, see, a lot, of, a lot of this discontent like, like was mentioned earlier on TV, it, it's, design, it's medication. Why do we buy stuff? Why do we want to medicate? We want to feel better. That, that moment we buy something is a shot. And then we go put it in storage, but that moment we had it, it was a shot of feel good. Right? And, and if we're going to learn contentment, sometimes, honestly, we're going to have to work through the, the, the discomfort of asking ourselves some of these, these root questions in our heart. Lord, what is driving this? Why can't I just let this go? Why, why is this? Why am I consumed with this yeah. thing? And <laughs> and and sometimes you need you need a you need a friend. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, that that you can speak freely, that you know won't judge you, that that can just just really listen mm-hmm. and and say, you know, I get I get it. I'm with you. That's okay. Good. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a process. Just just give yourself the freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, that 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 and that kind of segues into. Into summer on June 18th, I mentioned on Sunday. You know, um, in the years past, the last two summers we do a big barbecue right here, barbecue potluck. It's a great night, and that's a June 18th. It's going to be Wednesday, and that kicks off kind of what we're calling summer nights. It's our summer series. Uh, what we're going to do, so starting June 25th, is um, we're still going to meet Wednesdays, but at 6:30, about 6:30 to 7 or so, we're going to we're going to have some worship time. We're going to bring in just informal, just kind of time to get together and worship and sing together. Um, and then uh, we're going to break into groups, and men and women are going to be meeting in separate groups. Now, uh, just so you know why we're doing this one, in summer we like to kind of break up the routine. Okay, there's, there's, there's just the element of variety in a, in a calendar year as you go through. Um, but also... This, compared to Sundays, is very informal, right? You get to talk, we laugh, we joke. Going to small groups, we're kind of at a stage also with the church where we've had a wave of of new people come in, and that's awesome. Um, But we're we're the body of Christ. And the way that we really uh, grow together is to know one another. And this is great. And Bill's uh, Bill's done a phenomenal job, and many of us enjoy this now. We're comfortable. When we first started this, you guys were like, 
I'm not, you know, you like didn't want to pray, no one wanted to talk, you know, you know, right? Olivia wanted A to B, just give me the answer, you know, why do we have to go on this long journey, just give it to me and I'll be done, and now, right? And we've, we've grown, this Wednesdays have grown, right? And it's been a wonderful thing. Yeah, right? Oh, one more thing, just, just popped in my head. Please don't, don't, some people equate contentment with complacency. That's, and then they they view contentment as negative. It's not a negative thing, but you think content means lazy, complacent. Okay, it's not that at all, anyway. So, small groups, okay, when I say that, some of you, your hair goes up like this. Small groups. I really gotta talk. <laughs> I really can't hide because there's no back row. Right? But, but like, right? Okay. You might even have to hold hands. You might even have to hold hands and pray. I share it with the I guys. Don't push it. Yeah, I share it with the guys. <laughs> Part of my testimony when, it, when I was, wasn't even a believer, I went to a small group and the men and women would break up for prayer afterwards and guys gather around the kitchen table and the host, great guy, loving guy, he's, you know, he's ready to pray and he just does this. Which is a signal to the other guys, you know, we hold hands, and I'm like, I don't know you, and now you want to hold hands and pray? You know, I mean, yeah. So here's here's the heart behind small groups. One, and and uh, the heart for the whole summer why we do this is we want to we want to encourage more people to come. You know, you you hear us pitch it every Sunday, um, and we know work schedules and all that kind of thing. But we we hope that. The informality of small groups uh, that some people will take the risk. And here's your ministry. See, they're used to me and Bill pushing stuff. And they're used to that on the slide. But a personal invitation Uh-oh. from all of you <laughs> means a whole lot more in some cases than me, mm-hmm. right? The pastor and, mm-hmm. you know, Bill, you know, and Tyler, if they're supposed to say that, right? <laughs> you guys say, hey, why don't you come? It'd be great. And that's why we start with the barbecue and the and a, um, potluck, just kind of a social night. And that's also why we're incorporating worship this summer. Just, you know, people come and worship. Let's just have a time of worship and prayer together, right? That unites us. The small groups, just so you know, it's not going to be heavy teachy, okay? It's going to be more like, okay, let's say we talk about contentment. Maybe the topic one time will be contentment. We'll, we'll share the verse, a little bit of understanding of this verse, but then more like, hey, where are you with this? Mm. Where are you? How can we pray for you? Where, what's going on? Oh, more, more of an opportunity. because mm. See, what should happen on Wednesdays is we have an hour and a half of this, and then we have an hour and a half of where are you? <laughs> I mean, that's really where... where that's the all-nighter we were That's where like, like hearing and doing, right? Um, so anyway, small groups, just so you know, it's not going to be heavy teachy. It's going to be more, let's get to know one another. Let's share our lives. Let's pray for one another. And let's just enjoy the summer together. And, and uh, Around the Word. Around the Word, yeah. My desire, I shared with the worship team last Thursday at our rehearsal, my desire and where I really feel God is sort of moving us as a church is that we get more comfortable speaking Scripture and sharing Scripture with one another. Mm-hmm. Right, you guys are kind of at a more comfortable level than Sunday mornings because Bill asks you questions and you we dialogue much more here. Um, but in a small group setting, we really want to just begin as a church as a whole to feel comfortable yeah. sharing scripture with one another, mm-hmm. looking it up together, 
finding verses, finding what God's word says together and, and, and edifying one another in scripture uh, where it's not uh, heavy front-loaded teaching yeah. facilitating. So the groups that have facilitators can be more topical, more uh, discussion and just sharing of lives, not, not a high-pressure teaching thing. Okay? So that is... Even more relaxed. Than we'll even more relaxed. If that's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are pretty relaxed. Okay. Does anyone have any questions about why we're doing it, what we're doing? And, and then in the fall, do you, should, you want to do, should we tell this group what we're doing in the I fall? I'm going to cat out of the bag of one person already. Well, well then you should. In the fall, we're going to come back to this, this stuff. And the topic for the fall will be, I'm going to let you say it. It's your, it's your puppy. <laughs> we're going to be doing a well, series God, Wednesday night on? End times. End times. What does the Bible say about end times? End times. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I'm guessing, just like heaven kind of filled the place here when we did the end times. Generally draws people because you see things on the news and you kind of wonder and, you know, depending well, on the church background. You know, in, in, the, in the first century, they were talking about, uh, they were talking about the end times. In the 21st century, we're talking about the end times. And God's word has a lot to say about the end times. And, uh, and there's, different, there's different points of view from, uh, from an interpretation uh, perspective uh, about the end times. And, uh, and I think, to be fair, we have to, we have to look at them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, you know, the age-old uh, debate, you know, are you a pre-tribber, a mid-tribber, or a post-tribber, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know... What does that some, even mean? Some people don't even know what that means. Pre-mill, a-mill... Yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and without, without going too, too crazy, we need to take a look at, at those kinds of things. And what does God's Word say um, that, that's going to happen? And what has happened? You know, because that's fascinating. That's really fascinating, and so. Um, but I, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to bring some sensibility to it, also, and because that's what's that's what's biblical. Because you, you can you can read books or turn on the TV, and you can hear all kinds of crazy things. I mean, you can just hear all kinds of crazy things. And, and uh, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, my ears always perk up when I when I you know hear something on one of the. Christian TV programs, or, or, or um, and I've got a lot of books, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I've read some books that are, that are, wow, <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're just, they're science fiction, they're so outlandish, you know, without any biblical support whatsoever, but it's a fun read, because, uh, you know, I mean, it was written to be serious, but it's really kind of humorous, because it has no biblical support whatsoever. Yeah. Cool. So we're excited about that for the fall. You're gonna, you're gonna again. Um, we're gonna be equipped with a general, a, a broad range, so you understand all the different views, even of the Book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Some of us have been raised in the church with a very specific view of what Revelation is all about. You may not be aware that some people have a completely different view of the Book of Revelation, mm-hmm. and um, so it's just helpful to know that. Yeah, just helpful to know that. Um, so we're excited about that. But before we get to September. We're going to have a wonderful summer together, and uh, we're, we are, I told Bill, one a couple of things we'd like to do, I think it's the last Wednesday of July and August, uh, is we're just going to have a straight worship and prayer night, um, so two nights where you can just come and worship and pray together, uh, just to kind of, again, give, give opportunities for um, fellowship, uh, but specifically for nights of worship and prayer. So things we haven't done, but we're just kind of feeling that's where God's leading us um, uh, for discipleship relationship. Okay.